Fields Bowie versus Tillian. Is this year when I'm glowy? Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy or a villain. Hello there. Welcome to Bowie vs. Dylan. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. And I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. And today we're looking at a very early year for Bowie, and an early-ish year for Dylan, and that, of course, is 1967. Woo! Flower power, baby! Whoa! Yeah, swingin'! Remember Austin Powers? That's not a thing anymore. No, no. You don't? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Yeah, me neither. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm insisting that I don't. I think I'm about to do an unboxing video of the super deluxe edition of Austin Powers. <laughs> the spy who but shagged me. You're just about to unbox my heart. Right there. Uh, so yeah, Chaz, I'm going to hand it over to you for some 1967 hey, action. How's, awesome. how's young I, Davy Jones doing? I'm going to kick things out. He was Bowie by now. All right. He was not Jones in 67. He was Bowie in 67. I can uh, never remember. Finally. If you came Bowie in 65 or 60, it's either like late 65 or early 66. I can't yeah. remember. Anyway, 67. Figure it out. Full blown Bowie, no question. It's Bowie all the I time. I am going to kick things off, Jake. Yeah. With a multiple choice question. Oh, I'm so for excited you. for this. Thank you. And it may seem irrelevant, but please see things through. And please answer truthfully with one of the uh, one of the answers I supplied. Answer no. Okay. By answer truthfully, you mean try to get the right answer or. Just you know, you no, answer truthfully for you. For me, this is more okay. of a survey than a. a this than is like more of a, a yes or no a subjective a subjective study. Got it. Yeah, it's a subjective study. All right, I'm think, ready. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. All right, Jake. Here's what I want to know. I want to know how much do you like Elvin and the Chipmunks? <laughs> no, wait. Hold on. <laughs> Clarification. A. Wait, wait. Hold on. Clarification. Well, do you mean the like the original one, that Christmas album? Or do you mean like the movies? I mean just the movies them of late. in general. Okay. Uh, more music than I guess the newer movies. You know, we're looking at the older music. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. How much do I like? How much do you like Alvin and Chipmunks? A. Okay. They're the best. All right. B. They're really amazing. Okay. <laughs> C. They're pretty darn incredible. Uh huh. Or D. They're some kind of wonderful. <laughs> These all seem like the same to me. <laughs> Uh, so, Jake, you, you told me to answer truthfully what, out, of, out of one of my supplied uh, answers. Uh, what, what are you going for here? Okay, they're not the best. That's out. What was the second and third ones? They're really amazing. Yeah. They're pretty darn incredible. Okay. Or they're some kind of wonderful. I'm going to go with D, some kind of wonderful. You are in luck, Jake, today because <laughs> yeah. David Bowie in 1967 released a novelty sing- single uh-huh. in the style of Alvin and the Chipmunks yes. with high-pitched vocals Tell me more. The Laughing Gnome. Oh. <laughs> That's me. I'm That's a laughing right. gnome. That was, that was not very gnome-like. <laughs> so this was, like, at the period, you know, and I didn't even look up when Alvin and the Chipmunks came out, but this was kind of like a common thing, you know, and the whole process involves singing the vocals at half speed yep. and then doubling the speed of just the vocals. Yep. So they're on the same pitch way the loud, you know, it's like this Alvin and the Chipmunks thing. That's exactly what and they did. And it happened in a lot of like different novelty singles. And David Bowie, who was struggling to find an audience in 1967 and was poised to release his first album later that year, yep. uh, 
instead indulged himself <laughs> with the Laughing Gnome. And that was a, a single? Probably his most notorious recording of his entire career. But, oh, and most many notorious. would say his worst. Yeah. He released it as a single. As a single. It was not on the album, to his oh, credit. Oh. Okay. It was released as a single. To it was like, credit. but as a single just a couple months before the album. So you usually would think it would be like the lead single mm-hmm. that would, you know, encourage people to buy the album. But okay. we'll get more into the album in a second. We'll talk about the Laughing Gnome. Let's dig in a little bit more here, Jake. Mm, I'm ready. Now, first of all, um, this musically, the song is okay. Like, in music, it's, it's just fine. It kind of is a piece with the album that came out that year, which we'll get into more, but I, like, I I think it's a decent album, especially considering that Bowie was 20 at the time. Like, wow, young, you know, young. Good for him on all this. Sure. But then on top of it, there is this back-and-forth interplay between David Bowie and a high-pitched uh, gnome who is laughing a lot and telling the most atrocious, yeah. unfilled jokes yeah which i will share with you momentarily thank you uh bowie is primarily the voice of the gnome also you know you can't tell because he sounds like a gnome but <laughs> I, I mean i presume that gnomes sound like that this is not really this is my only experience listening to gnomes as far as i can remember sub question uh, are, are gnomes real? and it's all just a big you know a laughing out loud story that's the, the chorus is ha 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 he 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 I'm the laughing gnome and you can't catch me. Except it's, I'm the laughing gnome and you can't catch me. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's well, so amazing. Your performance, you your performance I know you heard the song amazing. before, Jake, because you, you listened to it on my worst of Bowie Yeah, comics. you made me listen to it. You made you me. You enjoyed it. I did this not. This one's a so bad it's good type type situation. Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Maybe maybe once. Not, not oh, after once. that. Oh, not to listen over, over and over. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. Goodness, no. Then it's just bad. It's just bad. Let's go through just a few of the atrocious puns contained in here. Hit them up. Uh, and I'm going to try to do, because most of them are in Bowie's voice. So I'm going to try to do the vo- you know, through the voices here. I'm, I'm bringing up at the theatricality level, especially after last episode, and now I'm bringing it right here, too. So wow. here we go. I don't know how you top yourself. I'll report you to the gnome office. <laughs> There's literally laughing all the time. Yeah. Here. Where do you come from? No man's land. Oof. Hey, what's that clicking noise? It's Fred. He's my metronome. <laughs> Haven't you got a home to go to? No, we're nomads. <laughs> you stick in this here, Jake? Because I, I still have one more. I passed out. Didn't they teach you to get your hair cut at school? You look like a rolling gnome. Oh, no. <laughs> no, not at the London School of Economics. That was a really stretch. That was a really That's difficult. That's a bad stretch. <laughs> Well, I feel like... It's the gnome service, of course! Some of these are kind of British, like home service and... Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, the gnome uh, Home service. office, like, uh-huh. yeah, I don't really know much about yeah. this. Us, us yanks. There's, what about there's about no this. place like gnome? Or, I am, uh, the... I don't know. These are bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for a few more, because I was just hoping you picked up on some more. There's no place like gnome. There's I don't no know where they, like, they might good. have been, you know, hip to uh, the American... That's Wizard true. Movie in 1967, London. There's no place like Gnome for the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> or, or that, you know, I'm... <laughs> Wow. So, well. This was, surprisingly, it was complete, just tanked on the charts. Didn't no, it anywhere. did not. It was covered a few times almost immediately. And I only discovered this, like, this morning, so I've really? not had a chance to listen to any of these covers. But uh, some covers exist out, some contemporary covers with them from within a year of this. 
one of them became a very minor hit in Canada, apparently. Okay, so a cover of one, them. One of the covers, yes, not the original Voyeurs. You know what Canada's close? No. You know what Canada's close? You know what Canada's close to? It's my uh, no man's land. It's nope. my it's my favorite city in Alaska, Nome. Nome, Alaska. Ah. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Thanks, Jazz. <laughs> Whenever there's a laugh from Nome, I have to try to throw in a little laugh from Nome laugh in this episode. I don't think anyone's going to listen to this past this point. I just want you to know that. <laughs> well, okay, maybe I will not do that. <laughs> no, we already talked about this. Don't we do already it. Talked about this longer than the song actually goes. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're eight minutes into the gnome, gnome laughing song, <laughs> the the magic laughing gnome, <laughs> the magic laughing gnome. <laughs> Whatever. It okay, is. so a little more information on this before I move on to something that I, you know, would actually want to listen to. Uh, it did, yeah, the single tanked in 1967. However, mm. in 1973, mm-hmm. at the height of Ziggy Mania, mm-hmm. it was re-released uh, by, because it was a different record label. That's right, point. that's right. His original record label, because Bowie never regained the rights to his uh, pre-1969 work. Right. He had, he, had, he had full rights to everything from 1969 on. Which is Try as he artists. might. But he did not, I don't know if he just never cared to even try, but anything oh, I bet he tried. doesn't have, including The Laughing Gnome. Anyway, The Laughing Gnome was re-released as a single in 1973 at the height of Ziggy Mania and made number six on the charts. Stop Jake. it. Are you serious? Whoa. That's Your some like... continuous embarrassment and chagrin. This, this song just <laughs> won't, it would not leave him alone. It just kept just rearing its ugly head throughout his career. He could not get rid of this thing. He should have just bought it. He bought all the rights to it, so he didn't bury it. Made it, it disappear. But he well, didn't do it. So I mean, I feel like still out there. I feel like he paid the proper penance for the rest of his life for that. <laughs> he did. Sorry, you know? sorry, Bowie, but you made that. <laughs> you did that. You made, you made you that. You worked hard you know, on you that song. Die. You can't say you didn't make that. <laughs> anyway, this is just Bowie at the time. He just was. He was trying so many different yeah, things. Yeah, he had yeah, no yeah. clue what he was going to be as a. He said that he was intending to be famous yep. in some kind of creative way. He really didn't know what he was going to do. And I'll get into that a little more later on. One last part to the Laughing Gnome and about how it would never go away. In 1990, uh, Bowie went on a greatest hits tour called Sound and Vision after one of those greatest hits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the intention of it was he was going to play you know, all the big hits, do the giant tour, and then retire his, his hits. And right. go on to new material. Right, that and he did it for about for about ten years. He really played wow, very, very ten hits years. For That's 10 pretty years. good. I know it wasn't until two thousand bearing some of the hits. Yeah, which I mean, good for him on a creative principle and everything, but probably not so great for the audiences. I probably don't. not. I mean, his nineties material is decent, unlike his eighties material. Yeah, but still. So there's that. You got to throw. Anyway, something. he to determine what was going to be on the set list for this tour, they had a little like campaign. I think there was a phone in. Oh, campaign no. where people could phone in and ask for what they wanted. <laughs> I and, can see uh, where this is headed. one of the top contenders became the Laughing Gnome. Of course. And Bowie saw this was like, awesome. uh, okay, all right, I mean, this is what we we did this. We're, uh, you know, I mean, I committed to this. I'm going to come up with a new version of the Laughing Gnome, and I'm going to do at least part of it in concert on behalf of the fans. Then he found out this wasn't an organic movement. Oh, no. The British magazine, the NME, <laughs> yes, new uh, music had started writing. a laughing gnome call-in campaign called <laughs> "Naturally, Just Say Gnome." <laughs> there were T-shirts and everything. That's so really you, good. Time you did Christmas oh, this is great. If you can get a hold of a "Just Say Gnome" T-shirt for me, I will be eternally just... grateful. But I'll never wear it. Oh, you would totally wear it. 
and then Bowie kind of abandoned the whole call-in campaign and just played a bunch of hits and just whatever he wanted. Wow, so he, he didn't play he didn't play the Laughing Gnome. He didn't play the Laughing Gnome. To oh, my wow. knowledge, he did not. He was really salty To my knowledge, he never played it past uh, about 1968, and he only played it a few times even then. So how did he... I don't even want to know. How did he do it with the voice in a live setting? Did he have a know, tape well, playback or it something? It was part of his, like, cabaret mime show Yeah, 68, <laughs> yes. which will be a cornerstone of our 1968 <laughs> episode, whatever we get to it. It's Can't just, wait. I'm packing that statement right there. Yeah, yeah actually, I have, a, I have that down for later to know, but I'm throwing it in right now because it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, he was involved in a mime show called uh, Poirot in Turquoise. Uh, <laughs> after... Well, Poirot being a... Media dell'arte character, Italian cinema, or not Italian cinema, Tenma Theater. Um, Everybody knows that. Poirot. And it was a mime show with some of his mime friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. it opened in 1967, but it opened on uh, the unimportant date of December 28th. That's my favorite um, day. I know it's your birthday. It's my favorite day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. It opened on December 28th, but only had, like, one or two shows in 67 and had several more in 68. So I'm saving it for 68. That's all I'm saying here. Do that. I'm glad. I will. I'm do that. So let's just say gnome to any yeah. more talk of the laughing gnome for right now. Gnome more gnome. Gnome more gnome. Gnome more gnome. All right. That's 13 minutes of gnome talk. <laughs> it was 13 minutes? Yeah. Jeez. Jazz. Episode's already going over. <laughs> it really right. is. It's not so even my fault this time. After the not success of Laughing Gnome, this is all part of his record contract. He'd released one single for Durham, which is record label it's been. Sure, he released one Durham. in late '66, and Laughing Gnome in early '67, and then he released his debut album titled Gnome. Oh, just kidding. The first of two self-titled albums in a row. Yeah, for some reason. Um, and <laughs> right. it's a weird little, it's a weird little number. It's a nugget. Some people like to say, talk of it as, you know, it's, it's embarrassing, it's a skeleton in the closet or something, but here's the thing. The Laughing Gnome is a skeleton in the closet. His first album, I don't think, is belongs in that category. Okay. It's very different than anything he did, or almost anything he did later on. Well, that's okay. Which is why it's just strange, it feels like this really kind of out of place thing in his catalog, but he did so many styles anyway, I don't know why it's that big a deal. Yeah. Uh, it... It's a little strange he even got this record label because, you know, traditionally at the time you wouldn't get an album, like you wouldn't get to release an album unless he had at least a hit single or two. And he had no hit singles at the time. So no. I don't know how he sweet talked his None. way on that one, but good one. Uh, it was released, and it's only one of his albums, it was released on both mono and stereo, hmm. which is, you know, kind of a thing at the time was this transition into stereo as a lot of albums in the late 60s would be released in both formats. Yes. Um, by Bowie's next album, and then all of them afterwards, they were all just released in stereo, and that's it. Yep. It was notably released on exactly the same day as Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. I think the jury's still out on which one's <laughs> kind of a true classic here, Jake. You know, there's a I lot mean, of there's a lot of articles about what's better, Sgt. Pepper's or Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys, but I think they should throw in David Bowie's first self titled album. David Bowie's <laughs> debut album, which all came out on the same day as Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. Uh, it was notably that's done crazy. in a dance hall late 60s london dance hall style which is a little hard to describe it was modeled over Bowie is a big fan of a guy called named anthony newley everybody knows him who was he i know i never heard of him until you know i i've known him for a few years but only related to bowie of course i've ever seen his names related to bowie but he uh he was kind of a big deal and it was an interesting 
like Bo, he was he was jumping around a lot of different things. So he'd do TV shows, and he wrote hit rock songs, and he was writing musicals, and he was involved in all these different things. Yeah. And you can definitely see that appealing to the the just getting started Bowie. And Absolutely. I mean, Bowie throughout his career, actually, was always interested in all these multimedia parts, and he was doing movies and plays and doing albums and connecting different things in different ways. He always liked that. He was painting and all this kind of stuff. Um, so Anthony Newley, most notably, uh, was co-writer of the song Feeling Good, uh, popularized by Nina Simone. Oh, and I I'm love that song. Good. I ba- love that song. Ba- 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 That's a great song. Birds great in song. the sky, you know how I feel. Yeah, exactly. I know that song. Uh, he also wrote the theme song to Goldfinger. Wow, that's Gold kind of the same thing. Yeah. Well, 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 well. <laughs> yeah, it's a great song, too. And he was involved with the soundtrack to the original 70s movie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, wait, it's, it's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Okay. That one's cool. So he's involved in that somewhere, too. Okay. Cheer up, Charlie. My name being Charlie, I don't know how many people thought they were funny and saying that song to me. I... And I'm sorry, everyone who sang that song to me, none of you were funny. Just it's kind of like people yelling the laughing gnome at Bowie, pretty much. <laughs> All the time. Uh, uh, okay, sure. Why <laughs> right, not? right, right, right. So, trying to describe this dance hall style, it's pretty piano heavy, but there's kind of like some orchestral flourishes. There's a little more going okay. on. My best comparisons, thinking through this, is stuff like, like Sid Barrett era Pink Floyd. Yep. Yep. And we'll get these kind of like nursery rhyme feel to some of those songs. What about like uh, the benefit uh, of the benefit of Mr. Kite from the Beatles? What, Jake? What? Uh, oh. just, it's on my list. Just oh, just, sorry. Yes, the benefit of Mr. Mind. Kite. Absolutely. Okay. That's on my okay. list coming up here. Boom. It's another song in that style where it's kind of this like presentational. It's kind of aware of itself. Kind of feels like it's right. Story. The other one put in there was uh, was some of the Kinks stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some yeah. of their early seventies where these kind of these really British kind of like story songs. Right. All, every single song on this album has a very distinct story. But they have, like, harpsichords. And while they're all so. rather precious, and in general, they're kind of precious little stories. There's a lot of stories about kids and stuff that... Yeah. And I don't know, they they just feel very British and very yeah, kind yeah. of precious. And they're not... Yeah. And, and, I don't know. I mean, precious in only kind of a bad way, because, you know, people have done it successfully. The other good comparison for Bowie in his later career, the only one I can come up with, is there's a couple tracks on Hunky Dory that kind of call back to this. Okay. Most notably, The Kooks. Yeah, The Kooks, which I don't like The Kooks. The Kooks. I, I think like it's an alright song. Yeah. And it works It works in the album. But yeah, on its own, it's like, but that would be, that okay. to me feels a lot like what's going on in this album. I'm remembering a um, like deep cut from Modest Mouse now, too. I can't remember what album, but it's like, dance hall, okay. dance hall every day. Like, something like that. What? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I'm Modest not, Mouse Heads, not, get, not get at me. One, get not at me, Modest that, Mouse yeah. Heads. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Now, <laughs> even though I was talking about these precious you know, story lyrics, there's definitely some hints as to what's to come from Bowie. Okay. Uh, most of it will be on two songs. One is called We Are Hungry Men. Definitely. Which has got all kinds of dystopic uh, me- kind of mentions and messages, and there's a messianic overtones, and mm, yes. you know, mentions of stuff like infanticide and cannibalism, just <laughs> thrown in on top of all these like precious stories about kids playing toys and stuff. <laughs> just yeah, just so, trying everything. Like, so the, the Bowie of the future Bowie is there. He's in there. There's also one called "She's Got Medals," which is about a uh, a woman cross dressing her way into the army and like some. Some you know solid gender confusion, which is a lot of Bowie's stock and trade. Definitely. So it's it's there. He's he's interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's it's a decent album. Okay. It's not. 
it's not a bad album. I think a lot of people call it a bad album, but it's not. It's just it's not as good as what's to come. Let's not pretend it is. Well, no. But I don't. I don't like. This isn't like. I'm listening to Tin Machine or something where I have trouble sitting through it. I'm yeah, like, yeah. Seal myself up to listen to this thing. I every once in a very great while will throw this guy on. Do you? Every s- once in a great do while. Do you not skip? Often. Oh no, Laughing Gnome's not on there. Never mind. Laughing Gnome's not on there. So oh, that's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's all right. All right. At the time, it did get decent reviews. No. Oh. Um, yeah, actually, pretty good reviews, but it was still a flop. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Great. Well, we had no success until Space Oddity two yeah. years after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then no success again until Ziggy Stardust two yep. years after that. Right. And, that and was... then retroactively, some of his other stuff became successful, including The Laughing Gnome. Mm. <laughs> so, again, Bowie is still struggling to figure out his career at this point. And he's got, he didn't, he didn't do many performances in 67. He had a few scattered performances with the Riot Squad, so he's still like, having these, you know, he had these ever-circling bands, so many active bands going on in earlier years. And the Riot Squad was, like, playing Velvet Underground covers and stuff wow. in 1967, wow. before the album even came out, because wow. Bowie got a hold of it. His uh, manager took a trip to New York and got a hold of an acetate of wow. uh, Velvet Underground and Nico before it was released. And Bowie was obsessed with it wow. before it was even released. So That's good for him cool. on that one. Way to go. I think that was how he, how he got into the Stooges, too. He does have good taste, so this, I gotta say. This, oh, yeah. And so this stuff is all mixing together with this, like, precious dance hall stuff. Like, <laughs> oh, he was, he was nuts. He was doing lots of stuff. He, um, in 67 alone, he auditioned to become a children's TV show host. Uh-huh. Didn't get it. Too bad. He did auditioned for multiple other TV movie projects, including a, quote, high-camp version of, 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 uh, of Orpheus. Uh, uh, Orpheus. Over, Jake. Including, quote, a high camp version of Orpheus in the Underworld. Yeah, high camp. Which was not made because the censors figured out how homoerotic it was. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> and Bowie was supposed to play Orpheus in the story. Wow, Orpheus. Um, Meaty role. We'll come Meaty back role. to that in a second because the director, the director of that proposed movie uh, directed something else with Bowie in it. He also submitted, he wrote a script for a... A TV movie about some like country bumpkin going to swing London and uh, having to deal with you know the, the swing London types. Okay. Uh, Quotes. <laughs> this was the response. Great. After, uh, to his <laughs> to his uh, manager. Quote, to be quite brief, Mr. Bowie has really not begun to consider what a play is. <laughs> and his total lack of dramatic development just rules the script out for us. <laughs> <laughs> sir, you don't even know what a play is. <laughs> Goodbye. Good day to you. Good day, sir. <laughs> Good day, sir. <laughs> there, I didn't include the other part on there was they, with the script, they, they had uh, sent a copy of his first album. And the guy said something to the effect, uh, uh, by the way, my secretary liked your album. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Laughing Gnome was great. Goodbye. Laughing Gnome was great. <laughs> so, going back to our homoerotic Orpheus and Underworld. Mm. Do we have, uh, the do guy who was going to direct yeah. that didn't, you know, didn't get to make it, but he did make a short film called The Image, which uh-huh. stars Bowie. Oh. It's like 15 minutes long. So it's a short film about a painter uh, who does this you know, nice painting. Yeah. And the character in the painting obviously looks, you know, distinctly like Bowie. And then the painting comes to life and oh. uh, freaks out the artist. And Bowie is the, the painting come to life. That's who he plays. So the the painter kills Bowie multiple times. 
Yeah. Like it's five times he kills him. <laughs> it comes kind of like this horror film asserts. Uh-huh. Um, it was rated X for violence. Whoa. But Glory. it's really, like, by our standards... It's nothing. You know, yeah. PG-13. If that. Uh, but I, I suspect that was it officially was rated X for I suspect they may have also been responding to the major homoerotic undertones. <laughs> so many homoerotic undertones <laughs> today. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like rock. I mean, again, again it's like, this is like a picture of Bowie to come. You know, we're looking at these precious songs, but he had so much going on and the so like he was looking at so many different things and so many possibilities. Yeah. So we got, you know, in one year, in a year that really, except for an album, not that much happened. He's got those like novelty, sing- novelty single over here. He's got like this precious songs, but mixed in like one about you know cannibalism because we're running out of food in the future times. But also so he was listening to the performing Velvet Underground, and he and he uh, made a song called Toy Soldier. That's kind of a pastiche of Venus and Furs from uh, Velvet Underground. Okay, yeah, which is all about you know S and M. So he was doing that at the same Great. time. He's trying to be a children's TV host. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's in a homoerotic, violent short film that was rated X, and almost was in another one that wow. you know, somewhere in that same one. And he wrote a script about a country, country bumpkin going to London. And he's in like a and he's in and like a mime show. And the year by being in a mime show. Why it's like Rocky Three up in there, up in here. <laughs> homoerotic, violent, going on. amazing. <laughs> everything is going on. <laughs> and yeah, Jake, I, I've noticed that Rocky is a parallel to everything in your life. Yeah, man, yeah, but... yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Okay. You know, I just want to tell the listeners, they'll probably hear this after the movie comes out, but Creed Two's coming out. Boy, howdy. <laughs> I am ready for that. I'm All ready right, for Jake, Creed's son punching <laughs> Drago's son in the face. Right, I'm going to ask you to leave, sir. <laughs> I don't even know what a play is. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote one anyway. Here right, it is. The last thing here is the year in hair. Woo! An early year in hair. Early year in hair, and he is rocking in all the pictures I've seen. Killing the it. The mod mop top. Yeah, the mop He's top. He's doing it. I can uh, see one it. One little thing I saw there was this. I've only discovered recently there was this little like special TV special, basically about how uh, promiscuous London was. It was made for America. Mm. And so they're like, <laughs> as they're a warning, talking about how kids are doing silly stuff. Oh shoot, I can't remember the name of it. Darn it. It was something kind of ridiculous. Pursuit of Pleasure. Oh, Pursuit of Pleasure. It's called Pursuit of Pleasure. And uh, of London. And just, you know, through complete coincidence, Bowie happens to be in one of the shots, like doing shots around no London way. of all these people doing ridiculous things. And so he's at this, like, prestigious clothing store where, like, men are trying on women's jackets and women are trying on men's jackets. Uh-oh. And Bowie's, Bowie's <laughs> just kind of standing there, like, helping a girlfriend into her coat or something. And he just happens to be there. So I found that little nugget. That's, that's good. A, that's With rocking z- his, uh, his mod mop top. That's a zesty nugget. It's <laughs> such a zesty nugget. <laughs> so, I know, he, he does okay in the mod mop top, especially in 1967. Yeah, that's okay. So I'm going to give that a three. A three on me. Yeah, three. My super arbitrary... Uh, I feel like we haven't had a really bad year in a hair for a while. We did 80, 86 just a few episodes Yeah, but you said, that was, you said it was like a fluffy army sergeant's hair or something. I couldn't understand <laughs> what you were talking about. That's true. <laughs> I remember that. And then he you gave it like... The labyrinth. He also had the labyrinth here in the same year, though, Jake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then you gave it like an 8 out of 5, and I didn't know what was happening, so... You have a, you know, I don't remember no, that. No, I don't anyway, know what you said. I, enough about me, Jake. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. Let's talk about Bob Dylan. Let's talk about Bob Dylan in 1967. 
Uh, I hope he released a novelty single. He did can not. We, can, he you, was, can you back me up on that shit? He was way past the novelty single stage. Uh, did he, he already, have a novelty single stage? He had, no, he didn't. Um, that's a, I know that's a kind of a funny thing about our two guys here. Yeah. Now, we find a lot of parallels, a lot of ways they're similar. But Bowie had no clue what his career was going to be. Right, right, right. Like, and and Dylan... Know, it was like eight years in before he had a clear view of what was happening. And Dylan, Dylan was... Dylan on the scene knowing exactly what he wanted. Dylan was hyper-focused on what he wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, what what's similar is that they both wanted to be huge. Dylan wanted to yes. be... When he started, Dylan wanted to be big. And so he did, uh-huh. you know, including like hurting people and leaving them behind and using people. He did what he uh-huh. needed to do to make that happen. What's interesting about 1967 is it's the first year that he stepped back from that. Like, he, he okay. got as famous as you can get as a musician in the world. Like, he was one of the most yeah. famous people in the entire world by, 19, right. by the end of 1966. Just like David Bowie. Just, oh, wait. wait, wait, no. <laughs> wait, that, that was like 72. That's like Bowie's... 72. That's like Bowie's Blonde on Blonde around that time. Anywho, 67 for Dylan is quite a thick, meaty bula bass jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't they all? Oh baby, there's just a, there's some butter in there. There's like three different kinds of meat. Now I will say the meatiest bula base is 66 for sure. Like there's not oh, even yeah. a, there's we'll not a vegetable another, there's another not time. a vegetable to be found. There's like an entire chicken, like a whole cow in that bula base. It's so meaty. Oh, 67 it's over the side. 67 is pretty meaty, but there's a couple carrots. They threw some carrots in the bula base. <laughs> Just to kind of round things couple, out. A couple potatoes. A couple potatoes, yeah. You know, just to just to throw it in there. So um, we can't talk about 67 without just one thing about 1966. And that's the okay. uh, Dylan. Is it Judas? Well, that's part of it. So they screamed Judas at him, and then he decided yeah. that he'd had enough of that, and he got off the road to take a little break and go home to his new wife, Sarah Dylan, in Woodstock, New York. And he was right. riding around on his and motorcycle. Thinking about maybe having uh, Jacob Dylan as a son. He was thinking about. It. He had already. Years. I think he he had a child, and he was on his way to a second by then. And mm, okay. Sarah Dylan's first child he had adopted. So. Oh okay. He had like two and a half kids by Good that one. point already. Good one, Bob. Yeah, way to go, Bob. Uh, he fell off his motorcycle, Chaz. He crashed it. Right, right. And that was July twenty ninth, nineteen sixty six. We'll talk more about it in nineteen sixty six because this is okay. like. This is probably the most mythic event in Bob Dylan's career that happened. Even more mythic than selling a soul of the devil to be a sweet guitar player? I mean, that's one of them. But this is like, he was at the height of his fame. He was supposed to do an Uh 80-date tour in the U.S. At the height of his fame. And if he had put out another album, like, kind of like Blonde on Blonde, with some singles Uh that hit, he would have been massive like he would have been like michael jackson or something like that uh-huh. as it was he would have made... been let's dance era david Bowie. yep exactly exactly was almost as famous as michael who had the second best-selling album of the year after after michael jackson after i don't know maybe you've heard of thriller <laughs> <laughs> maybe thriller maybe that's something you know about let's talk about michael jackson Shall we? And what was he doing in 1967? I don't know if he was even born yet. He was like a baby. He may have been born by then. I don't know. Uh, I think so. This is not Michael Jackson versus Bowie, by the way. Although, <laughs> he was in his 20s for thrillers. He was around in 67. He was young. Yeah, he was young. Okay. Anyway, uh, Bob Dylan, this is what happened. He cracked his vertebrae and he suffered a concussion, which is no laughing matter. Okay. And he spent a week in the hospital. No. 
Even the laughing gnome wouldn't laugh at that, Jake. Not even a little, especially since there's no pun involved at he'd, all. He'd become the somber, uh, empathetic gnome at that point. He'd be like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh, can I get you anything? Oh. I brought uh, you flowers. So what Dylan did was he used this event and fabricated its seriousness, or didn't deny its seriousness, I should say. He wasn't like, oh, I'm dead, you know, or I'm almost dead. Mm -hmm. But people thought he was dead, (laughs) and people thought he was horribly mangled, and they thought his career was over because he just, I mean, Uh this is is not the internet era. Nobody knew what was going on. Uh Um, But he kind of of leveraged the seriousness of this accident to get off the road and recuperate, which he desperately needed. He was on all the drugs in 1966. Okay. And he was doing a show every night, and everyone was screaming. He was on a motorcycle race with disaster, Jake. And and then he crashed, and so that's what happened. And so as and, 19... and it no longer was a metaphor. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was very real. <laughs> so as nineteen sixty seven dawns, Columbia Records is like, hey man, you owe us, you know, and yourself an eighty date tour in the U.S. It's going to be the biggest tour of the year, and you owe us another album because. It's been like six months since you released your best album <laughs> ever. So, and what are you like, you're still just lying around in the hospital. Yeah, what are you doing? Come on, man. Crashing you your motorcycle and having a family in New York? Stop it. <laughs> but he was like, no, I'm not going to stop it. I'm going to, I'm going to recuperate. And so um, as the year dawned in March, let's see, what does it say here? March 27th, Columbia Records was like, Forget you, we're going to put out a little something we like to call Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits, Volume 1. <laughs> so, Man, have we hit all the Greatest Hits volumes now? Yeah, 1, 2, and 3. It was 2, 3, 1 in, our, in, in the parlance of our podcast. Well, but didn't we do another one that was not officially one of the number Oh, one? yeah, and then was there was like Dylan. Four, like it was just our last episode, yeah. Okay. So it's four Greatest Hits volumes. Does that mean <laughs> you have any more? What are the chances of that? I don't know. <laughs> 67, 71, 93, and 2007. All of Dylan's greatest hits. That's crazy. Okay. I didn't think of that. All right. Good one. Wow. So as we talk... Podcast is done. All right. Yeah. Way to go. So it's interesting that he had a plausible greatest hits album after five years of a career. Yeah. That is impressive. He crammed seven albums in that five years. Um, the last one being Blonde on Blonde, and they, they think they put a couple on there. I didn't even look at the track list. It's, it's unimpeachable. It's like... His er, his early greatest hits is just, you know, it's just about the best you can do. Um, so we've talked about in 1971 how Greatest Hits Volume 2 is officially his highest-selling album, but it's a double album, okay. so they count both both the LPs. Right, this, right, right. This one sold 5 million copies of one CD, or excuse me, okay. one, one vinyl. It peaked at 10 in the U.S. and number 6 in the U.K., you know? Okay. It's just, it's a winner. And then... Ian, I'm going to We're from the UK, just like the Laughing Gnome. Please go on. <laughs> yeah, but not in 1967. What? Yeah, that's exactly... Oh, no, no. Laughing Gnome didn't hit until yeah. 73. I was it listening to, to you. Get a spell. I was yeah. listening to what you actually said. You weren't listening. I wasn't listening to what I was saying. But no, you, you, were. Were just, you were just saying. You weren't listening. Just talking. Uh, mm, Bob laughing Dylan, a little bit, too. Bob Dylan did not need any retrospective bump in 67. He was about as famous as he could be. Um, next, May 17th, 1967, the seminal documentary, Don't Look Back, directed oh. by, uh, P.A., oh my gosh, why am I forgetting his name? I should know it too, because he directed a D.A. Pennebaker. D.A. Pennebaker. Pennebaker, there Pennebaker. you go. Pennebaker, okay. 
So Don't Look Back is generally considered one of the top five, top three uh, music, you know, documentaries of all time. It's it's okay. way it's way up there with like yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah, yeah. There's like one about the Rolling Stones, Let It Bleed, about Altamont that's up there, and yeah. you know that kind of thing. It's way up there. So it's kind of the first thing of its kind. It was a very arty thing, but it was a very accessible mm-hmm. thing as well. It had a cinema verite documentary style, a lot of grainy uh-huh. black and white, and it's pretty much Bob at his very bobbiest. This is Bob. <laughs> this is Bob doing the whole thing, wearing the sunglasses indoors, wearing uh-huh. the European fashion blouses. Uh, his hair is outrageous. He's on drugs, he's nasty, he's wry, he's intelligent, he's hilarious. He gives no straight answers to anybody at any time. Uh, you don't get understand him because it's just the entire time. No, no, you're you're describing like eighties eighties mumbly Bob Dylan. Okay. This is like okay. I'm going to destroy your soul if you ask me a question right now. <laughs> Case in point. This is, the Kate, this is the Kate Blanchett one, right? Exactly. I was going to mention that. So you stole that just like I stole nice. Mr. Kite from you. Benefit of Mr. Kite. Yep. So it has interviews. It has concert it's fair. footage. It's behind-the-scenes footage. Um, the My favorite scene, I don't know if it's the most famous scene, because probably some of the interviews are the most famous. But he, um, have you ever heard of Donovan, the British folk singer? Yeah, he yeah was, sure. He had just come out, he, he aped Dylan in every possible way. Yeah. Um, and tried to be the British Bob Dylan. And so when Bob yeah. Dylan went to the UK, you know, somebody arranged a meeting for them. I mean, it was just his... Everybody life was... knows that Bob is the British Bob, okay? Yeah. Bob is the American British Donovan. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Why not? So Donovan, like, sings him some song that he had made up, and then Dylan, like, whips out a song that no one had ever heard. I can't remember what it was. Maybe Shelter... No, not Shelter from the Storm. That's 75. Anyway, something from his next album, and he just, like, is 150 times better than Donovan. And he doesn't have to say anything. Now, Jake, He's not I got a question yeah. for you here, though. Yeah. Which one of the two of them was dreamier? Oh, Donovan's I, got a little bit of a reputation for being a little dreamy, Jake. Oh, Donovan was super dreamy. But okay. Bob Bob was like... But Bob was good. Bob okay. was... Got it. Bob was like hot desirable. How's that? <laughs> he was not dreamy uh, in the conventional how sense. How is that? <laughs> I don't know, but it just it fits. Like, I can see how women wanted... All of that, and probably a lot of men too. You know? <laughs> they wanted to take they wanted to take a bite a bite from Bob, a little bite. Okay, Jake, remember yeah, those yeah. reminders about that those homoeroticism, uh-huh, uh-huh. the, the undertones. It might be creeping into the show right now. So I'm cool with it. I just want to make sure you know. So if Bob was Rocky, I would be Apollo Creed, and we'd be running <laughs> down the beach, and I would finally no no oh. other way around. I would beat. I would finally beat Creed. I'm Rocky. And we embrace in the surf in short shorts and tank tops. How's that? Oh, is your wife going to listen to this episode? I don't know. She's, she's behind right now. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Then, also in the early part of the year, um, Bob was still, despite his motorcycle accident, he was still on probably, you know, without, I mean, probably the Beatles, probably the Beatles collectively had a greater hot streak of songwriting than Bob from yeah. 1963 through 1967, probably. But Bob, that four or five years, he just could not be stopped. Like it was all yeah. gold. And so he went and, re, um, he was writing 10 new songs a week while he convalesced. 
And what? He, he was re- he was rehearsing them with the Hawks, who would later become the band. He invited them to live okay. in Woodstock, and they um, they played music in this big house called the Big Pink because it was pink. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, this okay, is the yeah. this this is the basement. I've heard tapes. of the Big Pink. I didn't know what it was. This is the basement tapes, friend. He was. Oh. He was not. They were not released until 1975. But this was the basement tapes era. So they okay. would go from room to room in this big rambling house, and they would just sort of improvise through all of these songs that Bob was writing. And um, so I don't know how many Basement Tape songs there are, like, or, you know, original songs. There's probably like 80, mm-hmm. 80 or something like that. Something Is that crazy. the next Holy Grail of the uh, Bootleg series? No, that already came out, friends. Oh, well, well, never mind. <clears throat> I have, I have a Bootleg series. That's discovered. number... That's number 12 or 11. Okay. Okay. 11. Um, anyway, that's every extant recording of the Basement Tapes. And it is pretty great. Um, so he was doing that as well as, you know, raising a family, as well as just being, being like more of a, a calm kind of Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, just he, bobbing around. He's just bobbing about. Um, he released two singles that year, or actually more accurately, Columbia Records released two singles that year. One was just running on fumes of Blonde on Blonde. It was Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat. Oh, yeah. Fantastic song from Blonde on Blonde. That charted at number 81, and its B-side was uh, Mulke Gomine. Remember our, remember our nice... Wait, what? <laughs> Most likely you'll go away your way. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I'll go mine. That. Yeah, that no, was just last... That. That was no. just that was last time too, Chaz. Thanks. <laughs> I don't know what was happening last time. Yeah, I know. You don't even. I know was what, high on hairspray from the eighties. You don't even know what's happening that, this time. <laughs> that pulled up in two thousand seven. <laughs> All right, question. Can you name this is a this is a a geography question from eighth grade? Can okay. you name the Benelux countries? Do it. Belgium. Yep. Luxembourg. Yep. And the Netherlands. Oh man. <laughs> Gold star. Hey, I'm not a plight at a school for nothing, Jake. <laughs> you don't teach actual school for nothing. Okay, got it. Benelux countries, he released uh, a single to promote the Greatest Hits album there. Apparently they didn't, everywhere else could just buy the Greatest Hits album without a problem. Because <laughs> they were like, oh, I know who Bob Dylan is. But the Benelux countries, I guess, a little behind. So they released If You Gotta Go Now. They're very small, they're very small countries. <laughs> they are, all three of them. Um, if You Gotta Go go Now, or else You Gotta Stay All Night. Bordering. What, not, what is that acronym? Uh, let's see here. Okay. Good now. Okay, that's a good one. Good now. A lot of G's in there. Um, that borders, that's not a novelty. No, nowhere near the, the Laughing Gnome, for sure. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, it's kind of one of his more fun songs. If you gotta go, go now. Or else you Is gotta stay constant, all night. maniacal laughing going on throughout? Absolutely. Most songs have that. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> In a helium voice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alvin and the Chipmunks. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, he also released, in conjunction with Don't Look Back, a an official music video for the subterranean... Homesick Blues. Whoa. Sometimes... Official music videos in 67. I know. It was, a lot it was one of the first music videos, as it turns okay. out. All right. Nice and one. And one of the most famous. It has Bob. Um, he's standing there with 
some of the words from the song on placards, like big placards. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alan Ginberg is just like hanging out in the alley, smoking cigarettes and yeah. pretending to yeah, talk as, to somebody. As he does, as he as he do. And uh, so as the song plays, Bob is like dropping these placards on the ground. Um, very famous, very awesome. Um, I feel like calling it the subterranean gnome sick blues. I don't know about you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. And then at the end of the year, um, I'll talk about the album in the points. I'll give a I'll give a nice review of it. But his I want to say eighth. I shouldn't even say that without knowing. He released an album called John Wesley Harding on December twenty seventh, nineteen sixty seven. So close to my birthday, uh, my oh, negative thirteenth birthday. The day before the day Bowie before. started his mime show. Exactly. See? Boy, I bet that they knew each other then, secretly. <laughs> they were like, he's like, hey, David. I think, I think we can both agree that uh, one of them knew who the other one was. <laughs> and we could pretty safely say that. We will leave it up to the listener to figure out which is which. <laughs> to figure out which is which. Okay. So that went to, Bob Fever was hot and high, even though this was not a rock and roll record. This was much more of an interesting folk record. Um, Number two in the U.S., hot. And number one in the U.K., and number one in Australia. This came out a wildly long time after Blonde on Blonde. 17 months, Chaz. (laughs) Can you conceive of that amount of time going by? Did that accident in between or something? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, and he decided not to tour anymore. Like, 17 months, that's pushing it, I would say. It must have been, like, interminable to the fans at the time. Well, people thought he was dead, too, at the time. So. Well, sure. So he so reemerged. Paul, you know? He released that He released that baby. Paul now, was dead right around there. Right around there. I guess Paul was dead a couple of years later, was he? Oh, uh, no, because they talked about it on White Album. So I think this was Paul is Dead. Oh, oh yeah. It started yeah. it started with Sgt. Peppers because he's facing the other way on the back cover. Mm, okay. There's a big He's barefoot on the front, and for some reason that means he's dead. Yeah, I was bare, there. I mean Barefoot was Abbey Road. I'm I'm good for a, you know, I'm up for a good conspiracy theory now and then, but come on. Yeah. Let's put a little more work into it. Like what's with all the fluoride in the water? Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I hope you're wearing your tin hat. I know I am. Uh, so I'll t- <laughs> I'll talk about I'll talk about the album in the points, but I do have a sweet multiple choice question for you, Chaz. All right, lay it on. All me. right, I so just, it's, I feel like it's been several episodes since I've gotten a good multiple choice. I know. Question. I don't. I don't know. I I've been less creative than normal. You've been letting yourself go. I think so. I think so. I've been okay. eating a lot of cheeseburgers. I don't know. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I'm drinking a lot. Drinking a lot. <laughs> I don't know Looking if I should. More like Elvis every day. I should not admit that on this podcast. <laughs> so uh, too late. <laughs> the album cover for John Wesley Harding is a um, is not super mysterious. It's kind of interesting. It's it's definitely like uh, enigmatic, but it's not super okay. mysterious. He's standing in the woods. You can tell that it's like winter in New York, New York uh-huh. woods. He's just wearing a jacket and he has this really silly smile on his face. And next to him are two what appears to be Native American fellows. And then behind him is kind of like an older, I think he's white, but he might also be Native American. But they're just standing together, like, in front of a tree. And on the tree, it's a black and white photo, and on the tree, it just looks like a tree, except at the top, the, like, the way the the picture was taken, there's a little bit of a lighter area at the top of the tree. Now, Uh when this was released... Some people thought that there was an image 
in that area of the tree, at the top of the tree. And I have and the multiple choice question for you. What did people think was the image at the top of the tree? Are you ready? Okay, I'm, okay, I'm not, as ready as I'll ever be. All right. A, a wrecked Triumph motorcycle, such as the one that he actually wrecked mm. in real life months before. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. B, a graveyard with Elvis's tombstone. Okay, all right. C, all four faces of the Beatles. D, okay. clouds featuring a distorted Star of David signaling Bob's recommitment to Judaism. Or E, and this is the real answer, but you can't use this. What a bunch of idiots, there's nothing on the tree. <laughs> uh, hmm. I'm going to go with D. D, clouds featuring a distorted Star of David signaling Bob's recommitment. Yeah, yep. No. People thought okay. that all four faces of the Beatles were at the top of the tree. <laughs> what? Oh. Hey, cool. Good one. People wanted Bob and the Beatles to be, I don't know, taking all the LSD together and <laughs> trying to convince the world that they weren't friends or were friends. I don't even know what. This was a Paul is dead thing for sure. Oh, yeah. Kind of a thing. like going around at the time, apparently. Yeah. Here, I'm looking up the image right now just yeah, out yeah. of curiosity. I have it on I have it on vinyl, which means it's a much better, uh-huh. bigger image, and there's there's nothing at the top of that tree, man. I mean there's some like what? shapes, but it's just it's just a tree. It's a tree. It's a tree. It's clearly just a tree. It's just a tree. And why can't a tree just be a tree, you know? Why has it gotta be four beetles heads? <laughs> Isn't that enough to be a tree? Uh, trees not majestic enough? <laughs> trees, you know, this is New York. It's On the most own? beautiful country in the East Coast. Can we just let the tree be a tree? Not in Bob's case. They were, this was definitely the beginning. I mean, I'm, look, I'm looking at it a little closer right now. It's it's something of a Rorschach test here, yes, you know? Yes, it is. That's all it is. But, like, so, I can see how someone could see kind of a face looking there, but it's clearly just a tree. It's just a tree. What can I say? What can I say? All right, so now it is clearly time to add up some points. And uh, let's start with Bowie. So Bowie has got an album. It's his first album. Again, it is often considered one of his worst albums, but really, like, he's got so many great albums that uh, it's not as big of an insult as you might think. He's only got a few legitimately bad albums, and I do not think this is one of them. All right. I think Fair it's enough. a decent album. Especially at the time, he's 20. You know, you got to give him a little leeway. So, Death. Uh, for those at home, we have a complicated point system that involves giving different things the possibility of more points, but if they're bad, they can have negative points. They sure can. And uh, depending on what it is, yeah, anyway. So albums have the possibility of going as low as negative five or as high as five. And I'm giving the David Bowie... 1967 album. I'm giving it a one. All right. Solid. This is a a decent album by 20-year-old. Good start. Good start. Next, into singles. (laughs) Laughing no. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Singles have the possibility of a negative one to one. Laughing Gnome is a negative one. Woo, the full neg. It is quite possibly the worst song he ever released. I mean, when it comes down wow. to it. Really? Again, music, he, he released songs that were musically worse. Yeah. But the lyrics and the incredibly insipid novelty of it all. Yeah, it's, it's just, hard. It's fun to talk about. It's just insulting. From experience, I can say that it's hard to listen to, even once. It's hard to listen to. 
Yeah, it's bad. It's it got a little bit of a so bad it's good type thing, but even then making it yeah. the song is a little something. It's Not more really. just to like a what the heck? Bowie did what? Right. Uh, it it's clearly deserving a negative one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> his other single from the year, which I hadn't talked about, is called "Love You Till Tuesday." Okay. It's a little uh, you know uh, a little jingle about how you know. Uh, Met you on Sunday, and I'll love you till Tuesday. That's kind of the whole, you know, mm. the point of it is, is being, you know, he's being cheeky. He's being real cheeky, Jake. Super cheeky. Oh, I was very lonely when I met you on Sunday. Give me your heart, and I'll love you till Tuesday. Okay. Well, it's it's an okay song. I'm giving it a zero. All right. It's not a great song, nothing to write home to, but, you know, it's not an embarrassment, especially for the time period. Give it a zero. Finally, his short film that he was in, it was such like a minor film. Like, I can't, I don't know. It's not great. I don't know. It's such a minor thing, I don't feel like it's worth points either way. Okay. So I'm not getting points on that. All right. So we ended the year with a zero. <laughs> that seems and very appropriate. Bring him up, and the laughing gnome bring him right back down. Absolutely. Hey, that's how it should be. That's how God intended Bowie's 1967 to be. Well, that's how it worked out. That's it. All right, let's hear it from Dylan. All right, so Dylan Dylan managed one of his best years that we've done so far. Anything in the 60s. um, Yeah, he's kind of unstoppable in the 60s. He's really pretty unstoppable. And and since he released a classic album, that's what gives us the most points, usually, when that happens. Or when Bowie releases 18 singles and Chaz makes us listen to every (laughs) single one of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. So let's score John Wesley Harding first. Um, this is an interesting album in his discography. It's it's kind of out of place. There's no real analog in the rest of his discography for this particular album. Like um, usually, his really good albums have something before and after that remind you of one of them or yeah. kind of go together. I mean, people think that all of his albums are in a trilogy, but that's that's just kind of a fallacy. But this one's very singular. It's very dense lyrically, um, not so much musically, but it's it's very immediate. It's kind of like, it's right up in the mix, like the way they recorded it. And you can hear it, um, it was included in the mono box set from, did we do 2010? Was that the year that that was? Yeah, we did 2010, yeah, 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 that's right. So it was included in that, um, and you can really hear it on the mono, it just, it packs kind of a punch. It's mostly Bob with an acoustic guitar. Um, and harmonica, but it also features this really crack team of musicians. Um, it's mostly a guy named... The band? So I'm assuming the band is on this? Or they are they, not. No, they're not at all. They shuffled off after the basement No, there's no... This is just kind of like a... Uh, this is kind of a exhibit A for his songwriting prowess during this year. Okay. There are no basement tape songs on this album, and there are none Whoa. of these songs on the basement tapes. Like... He somehow did some tape songs show up again later on? Like, did some of them show up in later albums? Well, he only re-recorded them for Greatest Hits Volume 2. Okay. So the Basement Tapes is his own thing. This album is its own thing. Yeah. I know. He was he was hot. He was on fire. Um, it's really, like, fascinating songwriting. It's really dense. There's lots of biblical references uh-huh. and allusions. There's, like, American historical outlaw figures throughout. Um, stories so I feel like we should, we should acknowledge the Screaming Baby in their own. You have a screaming baby. I do. You. That's my baby. I'm assuming she's screaming because she knows that Bowie's going to lose this year. That's probably it. Either probably that or she is. just woke up hard from a she nap. She can sense it. Yeah. No one's paying attention to her. Uh, her dad except is... For the, except for the person taking care of her who's paying attention to her right now. Her dad is uh, doing a podcast instead of being a dad. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what Dylan was doing in 67, I want to imagine. <laughs> uh, being a dad or ignoring his children while making music. Ignoring his children while making, like, all kinds of music. Tons of music. Um, so the musicians on it are Charles McCoy on bass guitar and Kenny, I want to say, Butry or Butry on drums. These are crack. Bula bass. It's pronounced Bula bass. It's Kenny Bula bass on drums. <laughs> Uh, and these are crack Nashville musicians. He met them while he was doing Blonde on Blonde. And yeah. Kenny Butry or Butry in in particular is on Blonde on Blonde, Nashville Skyline, Self Portrait, John Wesley Harding, and he also played for a time in one of Neil Young's bands. So this guy's drumming is on like a lot some of the best Dylan work that there is. And it has this really particular drum and bass kind of a feel to it. It's like the the mix has Dylan's guitar very low, and it has the okay. drum and bass very high, and his voice is high as okay, well. Okay, interesting. You can, you can hear every word he says, but it's an interesting sound that is not he did not duplicate this on any other any other record. I think it sounds okay. Um, his singing is very good. It's not quite ragged, but it's not quite croony. He's actually like singing these songs. It still sounds like Bob, though. It's not like the croony um, thing, where it's like what happened. Uh, right, it's, it's like 69. Yeah, yeah. His songs actually are story songs, but they're still mysterious. There's a lot uh-huh. to unpack with them lyrically. Um, you could just, you could listen to this and have a, you could write essays about most of the songs. Now, I'm I gonna, have... I'm going to just assume that people have. Oh, they certainly, they certainly have. At least a blog post or 12. Oh, yeah. Oh, baby. Get on that blog post. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some ah. JWH blog posting. <laughs> Woo! Okay, so I've had this for a long time on vinyl for some reason. And um, so I've gotten accustomed to listening to it quite often and considering side one, side two, which we don't normally yeah. talk about on this podcast because we're CD guys usually. Yeah. Um, side one is absolutely magnificent. It's split with six songs on each side. Side one is like some of the best Dylan of all. Just straight yeah. through. It's got uh, All Along the Watchtowers on there, As I Went Out One Morning, um, just really good stuff. And then side two, right around this time, he may have finally started to get writer's block. Because he kind of fills ah. out side two with, uh, it gets a little sketchy. It's a little up and down. Yeah. And then at the end, the final two songs are not like the rest of the album. They point to the Nashville Skyline sound. They're like silly love songs. Weird. Yeah. Really weird. So my suggestion... Was this like record, you just record the entire album in order? I don't really know. That's a great question. Probably somebody knows that, I would imagine. Probably. Yeah. I really get, bet there's a blog post about it. Let's go check some blogs. I don't know. <laughs> Let's stop this right now. Get blogging. Uh, so these last two songs... Up, we be blogging. We be blogging. Uh, they use uh, a third musician um, playing pedal steel guitar. So it definitely changes the sound. The rest, yeah, the rest of the songs, all you know, the previous ten were just that's that more country feel of definitely more country it. and more like the songwriting is not is not dense anymore. It's just like the last song okay. is um, "I'll Be Your Baby Tonight," which is a fine song, but it's literally like "Let's get drunk and I'll be your baby tonight." That's pretty much it hmm. lyrically. And he'll and he'll love you love you till Tuesday. Yeah, he might. Well, probably just the next day, but still. Like don't stretch it till Wednesday. If you hooked up on a Monday, bump. It's the last. It's the last line on the song. Hey, oh. Like better stretch it till Wednesday. Oh, maybe. Bump. Oh, look at me. I'm cheeky. Boo. 
Uh, my suggestion to Bob in 1967, and I, I, I think he's listening, is that he should just make it ten songs. Just slice those two off the end and make them B-sides or yeah, something. Yeah, just cut it. Put five on yeah. each side and just have yourself a classic. Yeah. I want to give a shout-out to Bob's guitar playing um, on the song Wicked Messenger on the second side. He's he's ripping it. That's a good song. And uh, So, Joni Mitchell, nice wherever you are, stop it. Stop saying he's not a good guitar player, because at least on that song... <laughs> He was. <laughs> All right. Okay, so I didn't remember how wonky the last half of this was. So I'm going to give it a 3.0, which is still great. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. But the first side, if he had somehow duplicated that or, or carried that through, this would have been like a 4, probably. Um, anyway, let's see. What were his singles? Leopard Skin Pillbox Hat, that's a classic. You can't that's argue classic. with that. That's plus one. If You Gotta yeah, Go, sure. Go Now is an earlier song released in the Benelux countries. I'm giving that a plus .5. It's fun, but yeah. it's not classic. Uh, oh, Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits. If there was ever a plus... Yes, if there was ever a, If there was ever a plus one for a Greatest Hits, this is it. It's his best-selling album. You can't argue with it. All killer, no filler. And then... Oh, yeah. It's all killer. It's all killer for sure. And then um, I need your help scoring the Don't Look Back because he released a music video... For it, uh-huh. Subterranean Homesick Blues, classic. I want to give that a one. And then his involvement with the movie, besides being the subject of it, is I think that he helped edit it and produce it a little bit. So I'm wondering if that's because of yeah, it's give him like give him like a half point or something. Give him a halfy. Okay, I'll give him a half. I mean, half if it was point. just the subject, I'd say no. Right. But if he like helped out with the editing yeah, and yeah. the back end, then, then he deserves something. And actually, that. the last thing that he was doing in '67 was stealing another documentary. Or not stealing, but taking away another documentary from D.A. Pennebaker called Eat the Document, which was kind of like a compendium to Don't Look Back. Okay. And um, Bob wanted to make it more of like uh, historical fiction or something. And so he. <laughs> like his autobiography? Yeah, exactly. And so D.A. <laughs> Pennebaker was like, that's great. I don't want to do that. You can do that. And so he did it, and it took him like five years to release it. He was supposed to do a bunch of things in 67. He had a contractual obligation for an album. He had a tour uh-huh. obligation. He had a special with ABC, which was supposed to be Eat the Document. Uh, but he just didn't do it. And then they were like, <laughs> okay. That's on them. Yeah, and then he waited five years to release that. So let me count up my points here in terms of three, four, five, five, four, five. Okay. We got a plus 7.0 year. Just barely beat Bowie. Just barely. That was <laughs> a close one right there. to zero. Well, Bob's, <laughs> needed a real, Bob's needed a real win lately. He, he did, yeah. He squeaked yeah, by he last did, time. He did win last episode. But he, yeah, but that wasn't anything to write home about. It wasn't. No, this is a, a victory. This is a, this true. Is a victory for sure. Yeah, Bowie was on a hot streak for a little bit there, but that seems to be over. Okay, well... As you can hear, my screaming baby has not stopped screaming. And you can't hear my screaming baby, who is also screaming. <laughs> awesome. He better stop now. He's Dueling scared, screaming so. babies are ending Dueling this episode of Bowie vs. Dylan. Take care of these babies, because they're still screaming. Yeah. So, we'll see you next time for a very next episode. is our 20th episode. Woo! And to celebrate that, we're going to do a completely different type of show, like we did for our 10th anniversary. So 20th anniversary, we're going to be taking a look at the top 10 best covers that our boys have done of other people's songs. Absolutely. Not of that people have done of our boys' songs. No, that would be impossible for me in particular, but also you probably. Yes. Oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll also be taking a look, I'm sure, at some uh, some worse stuff just for fun at the beginning. But oh, we'll absolutely. count down the top 10 
best covers. There'll be some. There'll be some historical fiction mixed in, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh no, I don't actually. But some okay. zesty we'll do nuggets, maybe. Some zesty nuggets. Well, that goes without saying. Well, sure, sure, sure. Nuggets, nuggets. Sure. And uh, I'm gonna just end things with the maniacal laugh until you cut, oh, Jake. Gosh, so. I'm gonna cut it right now. <laughs>